Welcome to Love, Trust, Evolve, Conversations with Giovanni DeCunto. I'm Jordan Rich, inviting you to our intimate get-together with a true artist. So, sir, you hold the distinction of being honored in the city of Lawrence with a few other really important people. Who are those people now? Uh, Robert Frost and Leonard Bernstein. That's a pretty good company. I've, <laughs> I don't need, you know, it, it's a funny story because I can't even remember the year because I'm, I'm like, a, I'm doing so many things all the time that I, time, time doesn't exist, sort of. I was with this uh, Bluefoot Entertainment and they wanted me to be the artist at the World Cups over in Brazil. And I was supposed to be painting this thing as as the World Cup went on. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the one of the this one of the networks actually caught wind of it and actually grabbed the idea and and ran with it before we even had a, t- a chance to to put it together, you know. Mm. So so the 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 producer uh, came to me and he said, you know, we'll find something else. And like two days later, he said, we're going to do the, there's a campaign made in America. We're going to do do a commercial, feature you in their, their global commercial, starting this, uh, starting this whole uh, um, business opportunity that mm. we're putting together. Mm-hmm. And so I said, great. You know, to come into the studio, they had me in Lawrence. So anytime you have any kind, anytime I can get attention, I I come to it because all the time that I work, I'm alone. So it's the alone or on stage. Right, so like right. when I get a chance to be on stage, I like come to life. That's great. So they came to you. They came to me, and then we started with Made in America, and right at the same time, I think uh, uh, Trump was coming out, and we did the first commercial, Made in America, and then the second commercial, we had to do Made Made in Beta because his... his uh, Make America great again. Yeah, yeah that whole yeah. campaign was out there, and we, you know they said, "Oh, we're not going to be, you know, there's going to be all kinds of things." And I had to sign waivers to, like, yeah, I won't mention this to 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 to, to uh, Trump because I had paid to Trump for Ernie Bark at the same time, so it was like <laughs> I was in the middle of like two things at one time. Wow. So. So when did you become Mr. Lawrence? When did that happen? So that came out of those commercials, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I think they saw the potential of what I was doing out of the commercials because I had already like gotten into, like early in my career, I got into like the Smithsonian, the Fog Museum and all. You know, got, got some, some cr- credits under my belt. Yeah, well, we'll, and, talk, we'll talk about that, but I, I, I think in the first episode of us getting together, the idea of where you grew up matters because I'm very familiar with Lawrence. I'm a Bostonian. I worked in that area in radio, and it's a, it's a blue-collar, tough oh. town, oh. to say the least. Oh, my God. But what was it like for Giovanni as a youngster growing up in Lawrence? Well, I mean, you know, I, I left the house really early. So I, I lived in a I, – I actually, like, um, I wasn't good at school. I went to 12 grammar schools. I went to, you know, four high schools. I was, like, like always sort of the, the kid that couldn't follow what was going on because I had this idea of what I needed to do, and it was very strong. I don't know where actually where it comes from. But like I listened to that that voice really early in in my life that you know I had a destiny and I was following the destiny. Yeah. So 
Yeah, I I left home and I I actually even through I was working in the in the uh, mills in the second second shift so I could go to high school, so I'd I'd work from three to eleven and then go start school at eight o'clock and you know. Well, you knew early on, my friend, that you had talent, right? I mean, that was obvious. Uh, but uh, were you just so enamored with art that you decided school really didn't matter, or did you have a learning issue? Or I had learning disabilities. Um, I don't think that was sophisticated that much back in back yeah. in the day. And my father was schizophrenic, and they had, like, I had seen him go into the Danvers uh, State Hospital and be, like, he had over 300 shock treatments wow. and that kind of stuff. So I, I was very, like... I had a visual aid to all of this beginning mm-hmm. stuff. So let's talk about your family life, uh, and we're certainly going to expand and, and get into the Smithsonian and all the other great places, but it has to start somewhere. Your dad, schizophrenic with all that treatment and all that issue. Yeah. Uh, is that what forced you out of the house to leave? No, well, I, it was like I won a scholarship when I was in the eighth grade to, like, uh, uh, mass art, and—, and uh, I'm not saying that my mother was wrong or anything, but she didn't want me to be an artist. She wanted me to be a plumber. I said, Ma, like, (laughs) really, like, you know, they were dancers. So, like, you know, how far is this apple going to fall off the tree? (laughs) Like, you know, and I even got a job, like, part-time in high school trying to be a plumber. I mean, it didn't work, you know. And my friend uh, Levowitz was, he was up at the corner where we used to hang around and he gave me a job. And after two days, I just told him, I said, this isn't working. He said, oh, thank you, because it's not working here either. So. No, you definitely chose the right profession, no question yeah, well, about I that. Yeah, I think it chose me, so. So you leave home, what, around 15 or so? Yeah, some, somewhere, somewhere around there. there. And where's your first stop when you leave home? Well, I... I I rented a, a room, I remember the first week, I rented a room right across the street from the high school, uh, and and it was on top of a bar room, so like all the drunks would be like in the hall, passed out, and I had this room for $11 a month. Wow. It was like I had to <laughs> jump over them, but I had an easel in the room, you know. What a life learning experience to have. I mean, and after the first two weeks, I found an abandoned, semi abandoned building moved in there, so I had peace and quiet. I no running water, but like I, I had to get. But like, but the goal even then was to have a place to create. Yeah, I'm guessing. Well, not just to create. I needed to start the journey because I didn't see anyone around me that had any kind of. Uh, there was no kind of. Uh, uh, mentor or, mm. or 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 anyone that was like it that even remotely cared about that field. So, yeah, I, I mean, in in a tough uh, urban kind of setting, you can imagine there are a lot of budding artists who don't really get a chance because there's no one to foster them and bring them along. You were sort of self motivated, it seems. To yeah, me. a little bit. Yeah. Well, a lot, I'll tell you, from my vantage point. I don't back up. No question. So let's talk about what happens in terms of schooling and education (laughs) in art, okay? Because you mentioned the Mass College. What was that experience? So I I didn't, I couldn't go because my mother didn't want me to do it. So, you know, by the time I was a senior, um, I, I had gotten into a little bit of trouble and I used that actually helped me to become uh, rejuvenated into society. And they 
you know, I had the artwork, and and they sent me to Vesper George, so I was not a ward of the state, but they sort of were. What was Vest- Vesper George for those? Who Ve- don't know? Vesper George School of Art was like. Um, it wasn't a university. It it was more like they had a painting department. They had a graphic department. You know, and graphics back then was not the computer. Mm. We had to like cut all everything out by hand and cut and paste and put it all together. So you were trained in part to be a graphic designer. A little bit. Little and bit. when I found out it was graphic design, I said I went through all of this stuff for this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I said, oh my god, like what an idiot. So, now, now that only was one step in the road. Then you have um, fine arts at the Art Institute of Boston. Then, So I, I transferred over to the Art Institute of Boston, and it's really funny because I, I really didn't I, I really didn't have a place to live. So I had lost my place to live, um, you know, because I left, when I left that school, and I sort of had to had a butt around a little bit, find places to, like, uh, sleep and and mm. do the stuff and so first semester I got all A's and then because I used to lock myself in the in the school like I'd go in the supply closet and when they closed I'd just work all night so I'd have all my take, stuff take done. a snooze there is that what well a little bit Sometimes. but I don't I don't sleep that much anyway so I yeah. was just like working through the night so that the professors when they came in I'd have everything done it was like you know. You know, the old expression, struggling artist, uh, holds true with you. In terms of your living arrangements, sounds like, though, you were excited and passionate even well, then. Well, I mean, I, I I didn't worry about... The only thing I worried about, really, was like where I was going to eat next or where I was going to sleep. But other <laughs> than that, you know... Um, uh, those are things to worry about for most people. A, a, li- a, little, a little bit. bit. But, I mean, if you start getting used to it, it's not as, like... It's not as tainting as you think because you get you get very uh, uh, good about fi- like seeing where 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 those things can yeah. happen. You well, know, you, you made uh, the road for yourself and you were resourceful. I think that's the key. Yeah. Now, uh, what about mentors when you got to that level of the art institute? Did you start to gather people? I mean, the professors all said like, "Wow, this kid is like, whoa, like." Where'd he come from? You know, like I would take over the whole school sort of. It was like, you know, there, because there was no place for me to go on Christmas and New Year's and stuff. So I was always working. So, I, you know, it's like I just heard this thing Kobe Bryant said. I woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning. I would go, I would train for two hours. Then I would go and do the thing. And he said, you know, like like I just heard this on, on, on a podcast and it's, it's really funny that we're doing one now, but he said, like, having that kind of training through my whole thing made me, like, five years ahead of everyone. Mm. So, you know, there is, you know, whether whether it's forced or whether it's, like, self, self you know, it's it, it doesn't matter. I think where everything is an opportunity. So it's, like, how you look at what right. what's happening to well, you, I think. Well, there's a guy named Malcolm Gladwell who talks about 10,000 hours to, to do anything well. you got to have at least that much. You were putting in so much time with your early talent at 
14, 15, 16, that you really did have a jump. You had a great head start. I think so. Yeah. So but, I didn't but, see it as uh, I didn't see it as like you know, like like I was out on my own. I saw it as that 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 I had advantages when I was in the schools that I went to. Like there was kids that had millions of dollars and you know everything thrown at them. I I had like I I would have to choose whether I was going to eat or do the assignment because I didn't have enough money to do both, mm. and I would do the assignment. Really incredible. Uh, let, let me just ask you a little bit about art theory when you were in school, because you have such a style that is so expressive, and we'll talk about that in future podcasts. Did you get a good education about the classics, the masters, the impressionists, or well, did you already kind of know about well, it? Well, you know, I, I always had my, even when I was like uh, a, a young kid, I, I would always, my, the funny story is my, my mother you remember the matchsticks? Like you would have the matchsticks. You could be a famous artist if you get this. I course. remember well. <laughs> okay, so she bought those books, and you know I would go in a room when I was like five years old, and I would take the books and I would, because she always hid them because there was a lot of naked pictures in the books, and I would take the books <laughs> and I would always be painting these very voluptuous women, <laughs> and. And she'd find me like like draw. I was five years old drawing like naked women, and she'd take the books away from me. And then I, she'd find another hiding place, and I'd find I find the <laughs> hiding place. And I said, Ma, I need to like understand anatomy. If I don't understand anatomy, yeah, yeah, that's an excuse. I think a lot of kids should try. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you get some, see some great stuff. <laughs> so, in continuing with our short bio, and there's so much to your life that uh, we can't even begin to scratch the surface. When, after you got out through the school years and stuff uh, and embarked on your own, when do you think it started to click commercially for you? When did you start to... I mean, I so, so when I went to the Art Institute... Like the second semester, I didn't have a place for the, my grades to go, so I didn't know you had to change schools, and I was still like like bombshelled from being on my own. So I was afraid to even talk to the administration, and I flunked out. And when I flunked out, I found this place that had all these guys that had they like at Napoleon said he had done the national uh the national gallery like the 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 cathedral windows he was a stained glass guy and he became sort of a mentor to me and 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 there were a couple of other artists that were already out of school and they so I rented I rented the the back studio and started to compete against all of those guys and were you selling pieces by then? I was t- like here and there. I mean, I would sell them for like dinner and whatever Jeez. I could like, because I was I'm really have not been the most employable person. <laughs> so, just to like a true know. a true artist in yeah. every respect. Yeah. Uh, but as we'll find out, and we'll talk about these things later as well. Uh, you've had the great luck, joy, but you had the skill to do it to connect with presidents, with the Smithsonian, with institutions around the world. In your wildest dreams, did you foresee these kinds of things happening? Were you I mean, I, I, I had... sort of made them happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Let's talk about that. Uh, um, one one example. I, I've always looked at opportunity in everything that happens to you. So, like, nothing bad can ever happen to you because if you if you look at it and you look to see how how it can bring you closer to to your goals, you're always able to like get something out of whatever happens because you know g- good and bad are something that we make up. It's like this this subjective condition that we've we've set ourselves up with and it's to me it just doesn't make sense. It's a great attitude to have not only as a professional artist or a professional anything, but as a human being to have I mean to bring things forward. And yeah. you know it's it's like, you know, and with that you can't really like put judgments on people on what they're trying to do. You can only live up to who you have to be. And I I would venture to say that a lot of that philosophy is is found on the canvas that you develop am well, i right i try i tr- so i try to be i have to be honest because if i if i lie to you and then i go back to do a painting like that lie will fester within what what i'm painting and like you know not that there's a good and bad and the ugly but like you know when you're honest with yourself you can be honest with other people Mm. you know and it takes a little bit of angst i think to do that but like you know to, to live up to who you are is the first thing that you have to see and listen to that voice within you and it's sometimes it's just a whisper you know and if you listen to that whisper that whisper will start getting louder and louder and louder and louder till it's screaming at you every day. And it's, you know, the nourishment that you were talking about or where you have to live and what you have to do becomes secondary to that voice that becomes like so so uh, symphonic in your brain. That might be referred to by some as passion for what you do. Uh, you have a great passion for your work. Well, I just... I think you have to realize, like, we're all here for a reason, mm-hmm. and 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 finding out that reason and just doing it. And and finally, uh, in this segment, it's doing it not only for yourself but for the world, which is kind of awesome when you think well, about it. Well, I mean, the whole thing is is artists are communicators. Yeah, and and um, yeah, it's unfortunate that like you know like mo- a, a lot of societies that came up that we are uh, developed from or brought to have had rich backgrounds. And, you know, we're in a melting pot where we have all this richness, but we seem to negate, you know, in the last 150 years at least, everything has been negated from one movement or one people to the other. And, you know, there's not been a collective consciousness. And I think it's led us down the path where we don't have... We don't really understand our purpose. And when you don't understand your purpose, what happens is things like this coronavirus, all right, uh, uh, comes up. And we're so separated that that we start to find a solution. And the solution never gets totally realized because we don't have a purpose. Like we don't, we haven't defined our purpose or our goals as a society and as a world where we're going. And I think what happens is like those things that are natural 
that are natural occurrences that are trying to hold us hold us in check or, or weed out the, the the herd or you know whatever way you want to connect with that sort of sort of uh, what it, it takes precedence and it will do it again and again and again till we till we find where we're going. I certainly look forward to having more discussions with you about your philosophy and about the work you do. But I will say this, the city of Lawrence made a good choice when they uh, selected Leonard Bernstein, Robert Frost, and Juan Giovanni uh, De Quinto. Pretty oh, good. Holy mackerel, you know. Pretty good company. Holy, <laughs> holy good luck. I couldn't even figure out when that happened. I was looking. Did you get I, a key? They gave me a key, and the first thing I said is, you better change your locks. <laughs> <laughs> it's delightful to sit with you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the podcast, Love, Trust, Evolve, conversations with artist Giovanni DeCunto. We thank you in advance for subscribing and downloading this podcast and invite you to check out the website, GiovanniDeCunto.com. Talk with you soon from right here in the Artist Studio.